Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lamumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. I don't know if you can hear my excitement if you're just listening, but if you can see me, you see that I am beaming and fangirling because I am in the presence, the virtual presence of my sister, Imani Perry. Welcome. Hey, I am thrilled to talk to you again. Yeah. Joy, so. It's just just necessary that that we touch bases because there is an instant, uh, instant kinship. Yes. Between us. Despite you being born in Birmingham. <laughs> right. Despite, <laughs> despite the, yes, I know. Listen, Mississippi people ha- are always. We're special. You are special. Many of my best friends are from Mississippi or lived in Mississippi, but you know, there's a little bit of a rivalry there, but I have so much, the part of it is because I just have so much admiration. Um for y'all, but your tradition, your culture, your the way that you have held on to the mm. state who we are, um, and it's evidenced in the writing, it's evidenced in the music, and it is that there. I don't know any place where the traditions are more intact. So I do. I love Mississippi deeply. Listen, that's a visit Mississippi commercial if I ever heard <laughs> one. But the feeling is mutual. We love our sister city, Birmingham. And we love our sister, Imani. So let's get into um, this book, which is sort of a a, a love letter about um, the South's place in this nation and this nation's, what this nation owes to the South in many ways. South to America, a journey below the Mason-Dixon line to understand, I added line, a journey below the Mason-Dixon to understand the soul of a nation. And I have to say, reading this book, Imani, since we talked last, I have talked to so many people. I've been unofficially marketing this book. Thank you. I appreciate it. You owe me nothing. But I've talked to so many people who are from the South, right, who either live here born here, raised here, and who have read the book or started reading the book. And we affirm a lot of the things that you share, but we also come to a more keen understanding of this space that we inhabit or we have a a connection to from reading um, this sort these, um, these thoughts and ideas that seem to really come from your head and your heart uh, in this book. So, um, you know, I've, I've heard you say that in a, in, in a paraphrase, to understand this nation, you really must understand the South. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about, um, we've got readers listening and watching who have read and those who will be reading once they yeah. finish this. Uh, so talk a little bit about what that means, that you've got to understand the South to really grasp what the U.S. is. Is Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. I will say, you know, part of, it's so funny because I'm going to answer your question, but I do think people ask me who the book is for, and it is, of course, for everybody, but there is a particular intimacy with Southerners, and I think part of what I was hoping to do, you know, I think the the way that we often value humility, Mm. not getting too big for your britches, and not being too self-important, actually 
leads, to, I think it leads Southerners not to understand actually how important the South is overall, right? And that combined with all of these negative stereotypes that people in the rest of the, the nation apply. So part of my effort is to hold up a mirror, you know, to, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's one thing to say, and I think this is important and true, right? We start with, well, this is where the idea for what this country would be began. It, it, the whole thing starts in the South. There's the lost colony of Roanoke, there's Jamestown, there's 16th century Florida that would ultimately become part of the U.S., all that. But then at every step of formation, the South is so essential, right? Mm. So if you're talking about the establishment of the, like I spent, I have spent years fixated on the Federalist Papers and Federalist 54 in particular. And it's the place, it's the part of the Federalist Papers is basically making an argument that, okay, we do have to appease Southerners, the planter class. For sure. Right. Because to establish the nation, because that's where the wealth is because of unfree black labor right? and, and the abundance of the land, mm-hmm. right? So then after the Revolutionary War, the, you know, the South, the D.C. is in what was considered the South. We can debate whether it's the South now, right? But it was yeah. We'll find right? them. Right. We, they want us or not. Uh, right. Um, but it's because the Southern planters were like, no, if we're paying the debts for the country, yeah, the, the, the capital needs to be in the South. And and then every industry, right? Like, I mean, you know, there's there's tobacco and there's um, and there's sugar. And of course, there's cotton and cotton is the industry that makes the United States a, a global power. It is such a powerful industry. Right. Yes. And, you know, we also have coal. We have steel. We have oil. Right. So the oil industry in Texas That's why we're a car culture. So everything like the establishment of the country and the establishment of the rules, the constitution, the electoral college, it's all moved about by the South. And so it's strange, really. You know, and even, I mean, that it is cast in this way as though it is somehow backwards or behind or out of step when it's always been the cutting edge. And then even when you think about Wall Street, I you know, I wrote this fall about going to this play about the Lehman Brothers on Broadway, this super long play. And I went looking for them to talk about how, okay, this investment bank that was the most important bank in the history of the United States that failed with the financial crisis right. started out as cotton traders in Montgomery. It's not- Never it, mentioned it, it's it's mentioned in this in a very subtle way without any black people, right? So black people don't figure into the story, but of course Wall Street can be Wall Street because of trading and exploiting black labor, right? Yeah. So so it's both we are at the center of the nation and the mm-hmm. South is at the center of the nation. That is at it. That is this. That is essential to the understanding of how we do things, because it set the stage. I mean, when you lay it out that way, and these are all things that we have an access point to, right? If you don't know about Wall Street, well, then you know about cotton. And if you didn't know about cotton, well, then you know about uh, where the, why the capital was in DC as opposed to New York, yeah. right? Um, 
when you do that, you really indict, right, the dominant narrative of the nation. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I find interesting in reading the text is that as a literature professor, right, when I'm teaching American literature, and typically these anthologies start with these travel logs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for you to challenge the narrative of the nation in a travel log esque multi genre way, I think is so remarkably brilliant. Thank you. Um, and so I wonder uh, how much of the traveling really uh, informed where you were going to shift in terms of genre, because this is poetic, it's literary, it's critical, it is um, non-creative, non-fiction. It is, you know, this sort of mashup of of genres. And I wonder if your actual movement about the nation informed how you were going to relay each portion of the text. Thank you. Yes. I mean, in a sense, it did. It was a back and forth. I mean, one of the things that was really important to me is I wanted to move through space. I wanted to take people in the movement through space and connect the human encounter with what, with the history, but also what lies underneath the surface. Right. That was really important to me because they're all there, you know, there are so many. And I I love that you mentioned that genre as having this long literary tradition, because there are in in particular, there's a, you know, hundreds of years of these books that travel through the South. But most of them that with some powerful exceptions that are that were precursors and it shaped what I did are sort of like look at these strange people, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? How wonderful we are and the providence of us being. (laughs) But, you know, and so, but can we look, to me, it was like, can you look, reader, and see yourself? Can you look and be, you know, and have something resonate or feel something, right? And, And so I, and that was also why I was like, I'm not, I want to go off the beaten paths, right? I, for me, Howard was a more important place to settle than Monticello. Mm. Wow. Um, and I, you know, because wow. this is also about, I think an important part of telling the story of the South is that it's a place of freedom dreams. And, you know, Right. And so I, you know, lots of people have gone to Monticello and said really insightful things about it. But, you know, I wasn't that into the plantation. I was just there a week ago. And I mean, the 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 feeling of being a black woman in that space. Right. That there is not even the opportunity to really engage or access the, the beauty of the landscape because I know how it was paid for, who maintained it, the fact that it still exists in this pristine manner is still the output of over 600 humans who did not have, you know, access to control their own destinies or bodies. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And there's a kind of, and I have to say, I do feel like there is something, and I don't put this on the authors, I mean, most of them, because I think there's been, you know, really brilliant work 
about Sally Hemings, but I do think there's a, a pornographic American interest in the story of Sally Hemings, who was a child, child. when Jefferson, you know, first raped her. And I and when people even ask the question about consent, you can't consent if you're enslaved. So it's a ridiculous thing to ask. Fine, she may have loved him. It was still sexual violence. Yeah. And that, I mean, informed by this very toxic, problematic social structure that put her in yes. this, you know, subhuman space. Yeah. Mm. So. There are so many moments um, throughout the text where, um, that are deeply personal for the reader, mm. I think. Certainly de- deeply personal um, for me, but you, you talk about, uh, wanting to kind of expose what lies beneath, uh, in the way that you engage what you're sharing throughout the text. And we've had this conversation before and we're on rewrite Mississippi. And so when I first picked up the book, I did what Disha Falah did. She, okay. She went to Florida. She's like, let me turn it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let me find the Mississippi chapter. And when I go to the table of contents, Mississippi isn't named. So initially I thought, okay, well, how can we talk about the South without Mississippi, which again, we are very territorial about the South. We think it's all us. But when we had this conversation, Imani, um, I had been enlightened, right? Because I did get to how Mississippi is woven throughout throughout the text. It's the heartbeat of the text. It's the heartbeat. And, you know, I really came to this conclusion that a, a chapter solely devoted to Mississippi would have almost uh, have been an injustice because it would have just kind of boxed us into this one space. Whereas you kind you weave in Mississippi throughout. So talk a little bit about um, how that worked and, and why. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this is the question. I mean, it's so, it's so connected to what we were just talking about, because where do you decide the center of gravity is? Is it Mount Vernon? Is it Monticello? Or is it the blackest state in the union? Right. Is it the most agricultural state? Right. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, where, where yeah. the land is still, the re- human relationships in the land is much more intact. Right. So to me that it's part of what it means for, for, to have, a center of gravity in human beings and particular in black folks and in the land, right. Which is the heart of the story. And, you know, the, it's also like, there's not a kind of pullout section about environmental disaster, but it's also a sub theme in the text, right? What are we, because this is a story that is about encountering incredible land and abusing it and abusing it and encountering beautiful people <laughs> doing the same right doing the same thing and then the way that the land is trying to sustain itself and the people are trying to sustain it I mean I you know so um that's sort of how it worked for me is to I didn't it's not yeah so it's more than a single place it's also important yeah. because like Um, like Alabama, you know, there's really at least three distinct regions of Mississippi that are doing different things. Oh, yeah. Right. And that's important too, right? So, so to me, the, you know, when I talk about Memphis, I'm really talking about Mississippi. When I talk about Mississippi, I'm talking about Mississippi, right? When I'm talking in the Black Belt, I'm talking about Mississippi. Right. Yeah. 
this um and i'm i'm taking notes as i always do <laughs> when i encounter you you know on a recording or we talk um, because class is in session very obviously you you said it's about encountering people and abusing them and while we we know aspects of this history one aspect that i did not know until i read your book um was this moment in appalachia uh, where again, this there's this there is this um, constant trope of challenging narratives throughout your text that I am deeply attracted to in reading this that brings you to read even more, right? To go turn the next page, and I mean, you you challenge Hobby Lobby, hello, <laughs> and well, yes, doing, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it's it's so necessary, but. Um, the moment where we talk about Appalachia and you talk about these um, planner class uh, gentlemen in scare quotes and what they do to this yeah. young black boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. They dismember his body mm-hmm. in a drunken fit and uh, his body. A picture. Because he dropped a picture. Because he and dropped, yeah, a picture. Yeah. They, they, they brutally chop him to pieces and force other enslaved people to participate in his in his mutilation uh and so what was i bring up this moment because i instantly started to think about this reclamation of a culture of afrolatia yes um, yeah. right it's happening now with food and art and culture um and just a way of being but i also thought about um and what you're saying about the south the way the nation positions it as um you know as, as i say the the, pic- the picture of dorian gray Everything from slavery goes to the South, and that way we look more pristine, um, speaking for the nation. But in this moment where you bring out this history, this this sordid, demented moment of this Appalachian planter class family participates in and challenge this myth of the Southern gentleman right. uh, that is propped up by, you know, mischaracterizing other people. Talk about... Appalachia, because we didn't get to do that the last time we talked. Yeah. Yeah. And how significant that area was, if you want to expound on that story as well, to bringing this narrative together and this this story of the South. Yeah. I mean, it was important, right? Because it's, so there's a couple of things happening for me when I'm talking about that region. One is, it's the whitest part of the South. And Mm -hmm. it is it is. It has these two different ways it tends to be talked about, right? It tends to be talked about with the stereotypes of, you know, the hillbilly stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. That is mocked and people talk about how folks are inbred and they're stupid and all this stuff. Yeah. Or it's the heroic coal miner, right? And what's interesting about this is that so many of the stereotypes get, that get placed on these white people are similar to the ones that get placed on Black people, one. And the folk, there's a, they have outcomes that look very similar to ours in terms of health outcomes, poverty, all kinds of suffering, right? And I was trying to think about, but what does it, do that that story gets told as though race did wasn't there right mm-hmm. it it it's part of the distortion of the story that as it's told right because part of the 
I think, you know, part of the conservatism, notwithstanding the vulnerability mm. of white Appalachians has everything to do with, with a racial narrative, right? So we see this like, you know, this incredible labor movement that comes out of there, but it's still right. the case that black folks who work in the mines too, Hmm. subject to all kinds of racism and violence. And then you see, but I, it was really important to me to not fall into the blame poor white folks for racism. So the planter, yeah. the and, and that planter class is still shaping things there, right? Like Manchin, you know, Joe Manchin, that's telling, yeah. he's, he's a coal guy, right? Like in, responsible for the vulnerability and the exploitation of the land again and the people. And so to talk about these men you know, the Lilburns who were supposed to be gentlemen and they were so barbaric in the way they treated this child. But also I wanted to say something about the fact that, that the land kept pushing his body. They tried to hide that they killed this child and the land, there was an earthquake, kept pushing kept the child's body up, right? And it was exposed and it was, you know, it was, it's painful. But there's also something for me that was about you, you can't hide, like you can't, we, this can't be hidden, right? It can't remain hidden. And they relate, you know, they were related to Thomas Jefferson. Um, yeah. and, but you know, that it can't, and I think, and that it was also similar to me why I want, for why I wanted to have Benjamin Banneker and Thomas Jefferson's conversations and the, the, the vulgarity and diminishment that Thomas Jefferson treated Benjamin Banneker, this incredibly brilliant black man, yeah. the landscape for DC. I want it because this stuff has to come up. Like, if we're going to still talk about this, <laughs> this man, are we going to still talk about these people? And we're going to still, and we're going to talk about the founding fathers in this auditory. We got to dig it up, right? It has to be caught. It it has to be coughed up, and so. And, and, and Appalachia is one of those places that is so encumbered by mystery and stereotype that for me that it was really critical for that to happen there, you know. Again, you know, challenging these dominant narratives, making us think in ways that the history supports, right? We know that. Right, we know, right. but it, the narrative isn't there, but we know, yes, we know the details. That's such an important way to say it, Ebony, because it's so true. Like we will know this and know that and know, and we know that there's a mythology, mm. but we have to like, I think we have to disrupt the narratives really directly, you know? Which is, I'm very honestly, you know, what you are doing and, um, not only with the content, but again, the, the structure of yeah. this, that we we that we volley between historical narrative and and poetics in a way that I think is necessary because the story is so nuanced and multifaceted, um, and we need a break sometimes. Right after we hear about George's body being um, literally chopped to, to pieces, um, then you take us into some poetry. You take us into yeah a feeling moment that is that is necessary um, in the text. One of the um, beautifully poetic moments and very Mississippi mentions that we have in the text, um, a, a couple of the moments, very close to my heart. So one, you, you do mention my family. You mention my husband. Um, you call him a scion. Mm-hmm. And we talked about 
uh, how resistant I believe he would be <laughs> to that moniker, <laughs> right? Because of the, because of our politics. Yeah. Um, but that you softened me again, right? When you talk about being um, deliberately being a black feminist and understanding this longing for patriarchal lineage yeah. in black communities. Um, talk a little bit about that moment and then you know that I'm gonna take it to to JSU. Right. I mean I think, you know, irrespective of what our politics, you know, the gender liberationist politics that we have, right? That it is also very clear that part of the project of slavery and white supremacy was to make important spillers laid this out beautifully to make it impossible for us to choose gender relations mm-hmm. and certainly to have the structures of, of, of families. And it is that we aspired to. And so there is a tenderness we have for tradition families that carry on right and are um and are freedom fighters and are intact and have not been destroyed by the ravages of this it just it is meaningful you know and it doesn't mean that that is superior and it does as a family structure and it doesn't mean that you know patriarchal ideologies shape you know um, the way we think, but there's just something beautiful about a father's son. Yeah, I think that, that nuances to um, Black feminist position in a way that's necessary, right? That our, our longings and, and needs yeah. are, are specific to our experience, right? And they don't always intersect. Right. And we've been, and and this has been, you know, this is like, they, you know, when you look at the slave narratives, right, that the, that they're one of the yearnings of women who write the slave narratives is home, mm. domestic arrangement, right? Mm. That's, you know, that that being home, being a site of violence, the absence of protection, yeah, right, um, to seek a quote, home as refuge, home as having some sort of protection, that's, it just is what it is you know yeah um that was that was I think an enlightening moment in the text that takes us away from the the central narrative and allows us to kind of go off into these digressions of very important conversations with ourselves right as you read this text as I read this text I was having a conversation with Imani she knew nothing about right? right That's the, that's the idea. Yeah. And my comments are all in the margins, uh, right? Um, and in my underlining, I, I mentioned, you mentioned Mississippi several times, but another one of my personally favorite mentions is of Jackson State University. And um, growing up in Jackson, whether you were ever enrolled in the institution or not, you felt a kinship with the space. You felt pride because it exists. And now we have this sort of new wave of excitement about the school nationally. And um, this is one of those moments of poetry uh, in this book where instead of this sort of expect, instead of of lifting that sort of expected narrative of the deep, very rich um, social justice and racial justice history around the school, you talk about 
our band, the sonic boom of the South. You talk about prancing J sets mm-hmm. in a way, and I cannot do this justice like you do. And I'm not going to read the entire excerpt because I want, uh, I don't want to spoil this for, for anyone listening or watching, but just the moment where you say that what they do on the field, in the parades, across campus, uh, says, love this flesh. Yes. Yes. And you know, and this was, this is actually part for me, part of wanting to be um, a student of Margaret Walker's Mm. because you know, I think For My People is the single best poem, poetic description of Black life. Yeah. And what she did, so she, you know, she's an intellectual, she's a scholar, she's a professor, but she was able to read, like, the movements and the sounds and the textures, the sensorium of Black life in a way to make you understand all of it at once, you know, the brilliance of Black people, the beauty of Black people, the resilience, the the living. And so, you know, so it's like I'm in, you know, so being in the place where she built her intellectual career and wanting to touch something, to touch her way of doing something in that space, you know, and also there's just something, you know, to, to, to witness I, again, I'm going to go back to the land, but just this incredible precision and beauty. And it's so, you know, it, everything is so pristine, but you can, but the land is there too. Mm. You know, I just, yeah. So it's beautiful. It is. I mean, it's beautiful to witness. And then it's beautiful to read your perspective of it. I think that you did Dr. Walker uh, justice <laughs> in the way that she um, lifted our culture and made it accessible to us to to participate in her poetry, participate in her art and her intellectual uh, discourse. So that that homage uh, is right on point. And I love also what it does for the young people who are currently in that space and grafting them into this very important conversation about where they are and how they contribute to it uh, is something that is lacking in many um, historical pieces or pieces that engage history that you are you are part of the preservation of this culture, young people. And so I want to thank you. Yeah. So important to it. Thank you for doing that for our young people. I think I'm, I'm maybe getting a nudge that it's time for us to We're out of time. We're never out of time. <laughs> Always talking, but I you, I typically like to ask um, guests of the of the show um, to describe for our listeners, for those who perhaps may be viewing, in a phrase, what Mississippi specifically means to you and the work that you're doing. Mm. I mean, the word would be the tradition. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm very, and I, I, you know, I read broadly, I studied broadly, I studied the Puritans for a long time, for example, but I am very clear that my work lies in a tradition. And I, 
believe that one goes to the places. I will be in Mississippi again in about a week. We can have it goes to the places where the tradition um, is nurtured. And I have over time, especially the last 10 years of my life, have been more made more and more aware that while there are incredible documents at universities that that so much of the tradition is found through living people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and I feel, I feel that, I mean, I feel that, you know, I feel that in Alabama too, right? But that there are places where you go and you are reminded why this is also important, why to do this work matters. So that's what it means to me. That's what it means to me, yes. That is lovely. That is why, you know, we can never fight about Birmingham because <laughs> we love each other too much. That's right. And I, you are so brilliant and such a joy to speak to. So thank you. Imani, you are gracious and kind and brilliant in your own right. Thank you for this book. Uh, thank you for this uh, narrative interruption that has been so necessary for so long. Um, you give it to us in really authentic ways throughout the text and it has been it's a privilege to engage you and to engage your work so thank you thank you right on mississippi is produced in partnership with mississippi public broadcasting for the mississippi book festival the south's literary lawn party